0: Good morning, Frontline family. What a privilege it is to be with you all this morning as we come into this place of worship and honor our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Thank you to our worship team for leading us so beautifully today and, and just for your hearts of humility. And church, may we carry that same attitude of worship as we now study God's word. 2 Timothy chapter 3 tells us that all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching and reproof and correction and for training in righteousness that the man and woman of God may become competent and equipped for every good work. And Church, let that be our departure point this morning as we now turn our focus and attention to the unfailing and uncompromising Word of our Almighty God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together and commit this time to Him. Father, we come to you this morning in the glorious and magnificent name of Jesus. We thank you for the privilege of gathering as the church of Jesus Christ so that we can worship a risen Savior and learn what it is and how He guides us to be competent and equipped for every good work. Lord, we ask that you would anoint and bless your word that goes forth this morning. We acknowledge that it is your word and not our opinion that brings real change. It is your word and not our opinion that brings light into the darkness and sets us on a pathway of righteousness. So we pray that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit of God says to the church. Speak to us, Lord. Teach us your ways. Lead us into all truth so that we would be Christ followers that are prepared for what it is you are about to do. We ask this in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen Amen and amen. Church this morning, we are again in Revelation chapter 2 of our series, Revealing Jesus. And if you have your Bibles, or if you are using your Bible app Go to Revelation chapter 2 and and put your finger next to verse 12. We are going to be looking at the church in Pergamos today. And if you have a look at our map again, can we put that map map up of uh, those churches? Oh, there we go. It's up already. Of where these churches were located. It is the third letter of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to the seven churches in Asia Minor. As you can see there, the line begins on a little island called Patmos, that's where the letter was written by the Apostle John, and then it moves in a clockwise direction to Ephesus, to Smyrna, and then to Pergamum, Pergamum or Pergamos, which is where we land today. And in this particular letter, the Lord is addressing the issue of compromise within the church, the issue of compromise. This is a very serious issue, and the purpose for the Lord's letter to the church at Pergamos was to stop the bleeding, so to speak. It was to refute or to come against the compromise that he found. And remember, as we've been saying, whatever was applicable to these seven churches back then in the first century AD is just as applicable for us as believers today. So we need to hear how this applies to us even right now. And I want us to get right into it today because there's a lot to cover. There's a lot of meat in this scripture today. So let's pick up our reading from verse 12 to see what Jesus says to the church at Pergamos and then we'll get into the detail. It says, And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things, says he who has the sharp two-edged sword, I know your works and where you dwell where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you, because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come to you quickly, and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on that stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. Now, church, just to give you some background about the city of Pergamos, they were known as a city, a very wealthy city in Asia Minor, and a city that had a lot of knowledge and a lot of wisdom. They were known to have had the largest library in the ancient world. But Jesus called it the place where Satan's throne is or where Satan dwells. And we know why, because according to biblical historians, uh, Pergamos at the time worshipped two major pagan deities, one being Athena and the other Asclepius. Athena was the Greek goddess of wisdom and reason, And her temple was the most important temple in Pergamos. It was called Athena Nikephorus, which literally means victory bearer. And Athena was worshipped as the god of all wisdom and the god of victory. The second most popular deity that they worshipped there was called Asclepius. And they worshipped Asclepius because he was the so-called god of healing and medicine. Asclepius was often depicted with a staff and a serpent wrapped around the staff. And we see that symbol today in medical symbols, where you see the staff and the serpent. And have you ever read the Hippocratic Oath? You know where doctors swear to take ethical and good care of their patients? And I know many of the medical schools have amended that oath, but the original Hippocratic Oath Starts off by saying, I swear by Apollo the physician and Asclepius and Hagia and Panacea and all the gods and goddesses as my witnesses that according to my ability and judgment, I will keep this oath and this contract. So Asclepius and Athena were these gods that were worshipped in Pergamos, but Jesus says it's the throne of Satan. And you know why Jesus says that? Because isn't it just like Satan to declare that apart from God we can have wisdom that apart from God we can have victory and that apart from God we can be healed but you see that is a lie that proceeds and emanates from the throne of the devil in fact the bible tells us in 1 corinthians chapter 1 verses 30 and 31 it says but of him you are in christ jesus Who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption? That it is written, He who glories, let him glory in the Lord. As a believer, guess what? I have no wisdom apart from God, I have no righteousness apart from God, I have no sanctification, no redemption, no salvation apart from God. But the devil would have you believe that you can have wisdom and victory and that you can heal yourself apart from God. Let me tell you, that is a lie from the pit of hell. So Pergamos was a pagan city, yes, but it was also a religious city in that it tolerated all manner of religions, guess what, except one, except Christianity. And doesn't that sound familiar of the type of society that we live in today? paganistic and tolerant of all religions and all other things except what Christianity stands for? Jesus tells the church at Pergamos, you dwell where Satan resides. But you know, it's not a strange thing to find the church where the throne of Satan resides. And why do I say that? Because Jesus himself said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And you know what that means? That means that the church is to be on the offense. We are not meant to be on the defense. We're not meant to be hiding behind these four walls. We are meant to be advancing the kingdom of God. So there's nothing wrong in seeing the church where the throne of Satan dwells because we ought to be in the dark places that we might be the light. But it's a serious problem when we find the throne of Satan in the church or in the life of a believer. And that is what Jesus is addressing here in, in this letter. Satan had obviously infiltrated the ranks of the church. And yes, Jesus commends them for holding fast to his name and for their faith, even though one of their leaders, Antipas, was martyred among them. Yes, Jesus is, yet Jesus is pointing out to them that their grip on the Lord has begun to slacken. And so what Jesus is really doing here. Is challenging them that against all odds, even in the place where the Satan's throne is, the Lord challenges the church to embrace consecration and to resist compromise. And, church, let's be real this morning. With what's happening in our world, in our country, even in our own communities, the throne of Satan is here. We live in a time of persecution and opposition to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But you know what? It's not a time for us to be less consecrated, to try and find a way to appease the world and just get along. It's a time to be even more consecrated and dedicated to Jesus Christ and to be more resolved in our faith because if we are not, we are going to be sucked into the way of the world and we will not be able to stand where Satan dwells. It's interesting that the very name Antipas, the martyr in the church at Pergamos, his name literally means against all. And the Lord is saying to the church and to the Christian, even today, against all odds, stand strong in the Lord, do not fear, do not compromise. And so when we come to verse 14, Jesus starts to point out these areas of compromise within the church And this is what I want us to focus in on so that we can be aware and make sure that these areas of compromise are not present in our own lives. Remember, church, the blind spots are hard to see sometimes. And sometimes we need a strong word to show us where our blind spots are. So I'm telling you up front this morning, this is going to be a bit of a hard word. I heard a pastor say the other day, when it speaks about Jesus' two-edged sword, the word that comes from his mouth, it first hurts, but then it heals. So have that in mind today as we, we go through this word. It says again in verses 14 and 15, But I have a few things against you, because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. What you have here is that the church at Pergamos began to tolerate things that were once intolerable. And those two things fall into two categories. Number one, the doctrine of Balaam, and number two, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And I won't spend a lot of time on the Nicolaitans because we addressed that doctrine briefly a few weeks back in our study of the church at Ephesus. And remember, they were some kind of false cult that were promoting false doctrine, and historians would say of them that they were linked to the worship of Baal and were categorized by extreme indulgence, filth, and uncleanness. So that's the Nicolaitans. They were those that promoted false doctrine. But what I want to focus on today is the doctrine of Balaam. Because this is where we find compromise many times in the church even today. And I'll explain that in a moment, but just a bit of history. Who was Balaam? Balaam was basically a narcissistic, self-centered seer, Or prophet in the Old Testament that was commissioned many times to curse other people. And the king of Moab, Balak, went to Balaam and said to him, I want you to curse the children of Israel. He was afraid of the children of Israel because there was so many of them. So he hired Balaam to do that and this greedy prophet agreed to his request. And it's interesting that Jesus uses Balaam as an example here in the church at Pergamos because in Balaam's life and the resulting doctrine of Balaam, we find certain characteristics of compromise. And we are going to take a look at those three areas of compromise this morning that Jesus warns the church against. And the first area of, of compromise that Jesus warns the church against is the area of selfishness. And church, where you find the throne of Satan, you will find selfishness. Jesus says in verse 14, Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel. So again, the king of Moab, Balak, hired Balaam to curse the children of Israel, and Balaam tried to curse them. But Balaam goes through this whole process and finally comes to the conclusion and says to Balak in, in Numbers chapter 23, verse 20, he says, Behold, I have received his command to bless Israel. So, what he set out to curse, he actually, in fact, ended up blessing. And it says, He has blessed Israel and I cannot reverse it. And so, Balaam said, I can't curse these people. And then sometimes, you know, when we read the story, we think, you know, what well, this guy, he turned his life around. You know, his intention initially was to curse the people of, of Israel, but he ended up blessing them. But Jesus says here that he taught Balak how to, cho- uh, to curse the children of Israel. And why did he do that? Because out of selfishness. He didn't care about the children of Israel. He wanted to get paid. And you see, that's how selfishness works. It only cares about itself. And wherever the throne of Satan is, selfishness you will find is alive and well. And so what did he do? What did Balaam do? He came up with a scheme to get the children of Israel to curse themselves. Numbers chapter 22 to 25 records this amazing story for us. And what Balaam suggested and taught Balak to do was allow the Moabite and the Midianite women to come down into the camp of the children of Israel and seduce the men so that they might bring a curse upon themselves. And that's exactly what the enemy desires to do in the life of many believers today. He knows that he can't take your salvation. He knows that he can't curse you, but he's going to get you to curse yourself. And that's what Jesus warns the church at Pergamos against. He's saying, this is what is going on among you. You have all these people with puffed up knowledge. You've got these self-seeking people in the church where it is all about them. James warns us against this type of spirit, this type of worldly wisdom of self-seeking. He says to us in James chapter 3, verses 14 to 16, But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. You know, people get so disappointed when brothers and sisters leave the church, And yes, that can be disappointing sometimes, but the Bible reminds us that in the last days, many will abandon the faith. And you know why a lot of people leave the church? Because it's all about them. It's all about selfishness. They didn't come to the church in the first place to serve the church or to advance the kingdom of God. It was all about them. And if you have a church where everybody is seeking their own, I'll show you a church that is in chaos. Where self seeking exists, there will be confusion and every evil thing is there. Because it's not about us, it's about Jesus. The second area of compromise that Jesus warns the church against is the area of idolatry. Wherever you find Satan's throne, you will find idolatry. Jesus says in the middle part of verse 14, Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, got them to eat things sacrificed to idols. In Numbers chapter 25, the the story I've been making reference to, many of the Israelites being seduced by the Moabite woman who were coming down into the camp, began to eat food that was sacrificed to their idols. Let me read it for you. It says in verses 1 and 2 Now Israel remained in Acacia Grove, and the people began to commit harlotry with the woman of Moab. They invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So here are people, church, who are supposed to be dedicated to the living God, the one and only true God, the Almighty God. But they are here bowing down to these little gods of the Moabites. And you see, idolatry always invites us first to eat, to sample, to take a bite. Because that's exactly what the devil did with Eve in the garden. Remember, Satan seduced Eve and said, Come on, Eve, just just take a bite. What's it going to hurt? I know that God said you mustn't eat this fruit, but you know what? If you eat it, you will become just like him. Just give it a try. And he seduced her into partaking of the forbidden fruit. And so it is with idolatry. It's partaking of the forbidden fruit, but church, the end game of idolatry is your worship. It is your worship. Because with Eve partaking of the forbidden fruit, and the children of Israel bowing down to these idols, what they were doing was surrendering their worship. And church, any type of worship di- diverted away from the Savior is idolatry. Because in doing so, we make things or even ourselves out to be little gods. I mean, wasn't that the temptation with Eve? You know, we live in a culture today that is saturated with this demonic ideology of people being little gods or gods or idols unto themselves. In fact, it is wrong and it is called hate speech today in our culture if you disagree with the idolatry of other people. Because we are to embrace all manner of idolatry, whatever the the type of behavior is. I was reading an article the other day and watched some footage on YouTube about a man that has identified himself as a female deer. A company, yes, I kid you not, a company by the name of Twitch that is part of the gaming industry has allowed this person access to thousands, if not millions of viewers, and among many other things, this female deer advocates for equality in the LGBTQ plus community and from time to time has a deer-gasm while streaming live on the program. A lot of people are being supportive and say, you know what, they want to res- respect the fact that he wants to be identified as a female deer. They don't want to offend this guy. So they call him by his new name, which is ferociously stiff, the female deer. But you know what, church? We need to call that out. Because it's foolishness. Come on. It is foolishness. But the world doesn't want you to say anything about it because everybody is an idol unto themselves and you can't disagree with my idol. This guy who is, you know, identifying himself as a female deer has made an idol of himself. And I don't say this to mock the guy. I mean, this guy's lost. You don't have to change who you are. You don't have to identify yourself as somebody else because God loves you. He died for you. That's what this guy needs to hear. That's what he needs to understand. You know, our society today wants us to honor the fact that Don wants to become Donna. And that maybe our child wants to be some other gender when they're only five or six years old. We have people today where their son comes home from school and says, Dad, you know what? I think I'm a girl. And they go, you know what? Okay, my son, you know, if you want to be a girl, it's your right to choose. No, you are the parent. You speak to them righteousness and truth, amen? You tell them the truth. You don't just embrace what everybody says what they want to be if it's in opposition to the gospel. And you know what, I know that there are Christians in the church who struggle with homosexuality and, and struggle with these, tensities, these tendencies, I get that. You know, I have propensities that I struggle with, but my propensities are not a sign of righteousness and what God calls sin. The world today is filled with many little gods. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God to an image made like incorruptible man and birds and four-footed animals like deer and creeping things. Paul knew about this long before we got here. And you see, idolatry church compromises our worship as Christians and it makes fools of us all. Satan even tempted Jesus with idolatry in the wilderness, but Jesus replied and said, Away with you, Satan, for it is written that you shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. That's our example, and that's our answer to the uh, the idolatry in the world today. I will worship the Lord my God, and Him only will I serve. I will bow down to Him. I'm not going to bow down to these gods that have been, been pushed in my face. So Jesus warns the church about selfishness and about idolatry. And finally, the third area of compromise that Jesus warns the church against is the area of sexual immorality. He says in the latter part of verse 14, Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. And church Sexual immorality abounds in the shadow of Satan's throne and wherever the devil is ruling. And if you are caught up in sexual immorality, it is because you are bowing down at the throne of the devil. Sexual immorality was the means by which Balaam schemed to bring a curse upon the children of Israel. When the woman of Moab and the Midianite woman came in and seduced the men of Of Israel, these men began to bow down to the gods of Moab, and it was quite easy to seduce them because involved in the worship of Baal Peor, which was their god, the worship of this god involved sexual intercourse. The word Baal means lord or master, and get this, the devil seeks to master you and me through the sin of sexual immorality. Through the sin of sexual immorality, the devil wants you to exalt yourself as Lord, not the Lord Jesus Christ. For those of you who were born in the 1940s or 50s, right, a little bit before my time, you would have been in the generation that experienced the the sexual revolution. And it may not have been as prevalent in, in our own country but you would remember that how they said it was going to liberate the world and, and set people free. It was going to do all these good things for mankind. It was going to help mankind evolve. But the reality is that what was sown and has been sown is now reaping disastrous fruit. Because according to the National Institute for Communicable Diseases, at the date of the article I read, which was in 2019... It's said that worldwide, sexually transmitted diseases have hit an all-time high. Among women aged between 15 and 49, there were an estimated 2.3 new million cases of gonorrhea, 1.9 million new chlamydia cases, and 23,175 new syphilis cases. Among men of the same age, there were an estimated 2.2 million new cases of gonorrhea, new million cases of chlamydia and 47,500 new cases of syphilis. And at the time, in South Africa alone, it was estimated that 7.9 million people or 7.9 million South Africans were living with HIV. It's on the rise. It's not getting better, it's getting worse. And why is that? Because mankind has rebelled against God and we've enthroned ourselves ourselves As little gods. And sexual immorality has not made the world any better, it has made it worse. Millions of people have fallen prey to the lie of sexual fulfillment. Many of us sitting here today, we've fallen prey to that lie in our past. And many believers are still struggling with that very lie, but it comes from the very pit and the throne of the devil. Because you see, church, that which promises ecstasy in our lives apart from God will eventually only produce emptiness. Because that man or woman who has sacrificed the whole family on the altar for sexual fulfillment is now empty and fulfilled. Because no matter how many relationships you jump into, you're never going to find what you're looking for. Because the reality is that true intimacy can only be found in Christ. True intimacy can only be found in Christ, and and that's what people are really looking for. People want intimacy, and they believe that somehow sex can fill the the God-shaped hole that is in their heart, but only God can fill that God-shaped hole, right? And the person that is looking at pornography online or going to a a strip club to, to see the real deal, and I'm not just talking to the men, They think that they're just going down there to have a good time, but in reality, what they are doing is worshiping. They are bowing down, just as the children of Israel did in the Old Testament, they are bowing down and they are surrendering their worship. Because here's the reality, we need to worship something because we long for intimacy. But that intimacy that your soul longs for can only be fulfilled in God through faith in Jesus Christ psalm chapter 107 verse 9 says for he for god satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness not filth and uncleanness and and all these evil desires with with goodness and church i share this with you today not in a a spirit of condemnation you may be sitting there and thinking you know what wow pastor this is a hard-hitting message you're not pulling any punches today. It feels like you're beating us up. Church, I don't share this in a spirit of condemnation. I share it in a spirit of truth. To expose the lie proceeding from the throne of Satan, that our eyes might be open to the truth of the gospel. And that we serve a God of restoration, we serve a God of renewal, and we serve a God of everlasting hope. Amen? Amen. And yes, the gospel reaches to the uttermost, but it also reaches to the guttermost. It doesn't matter what you've done and how many times you've done it. It doesn't matter what you've lost in your life because of your actions, because I serve a God who is able to create beauty from the ashes of your own decisions. Amen? That's the God we serve. And can I tell you something today? It is never too late. Don't let the enemy lie to you. He's been lying to you long enough. And you'll remember a scripture I shared with you a few weeks back in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, where it says, come now. Come now, let us reason together. Right? This thing that has got a hold of you, it's not going to get a hold of you for the rest of your life. You know, when you feel so dirty because of what you've done in your past, and you feel like your life is never going to change again. You maybe even have the thought of, you know what, I want to end my life. The Lord says, come now, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. Church, that is the God that we serve. You see, the devil will lie to you time and again to try and deceive you and entice you to worship where the throne of selfishness, idolatry, and sexual immorality abounds, But my Bible says, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Amen? Amen? And it's the truth that sets us free. In conclusion, Jesus says, if you've become a compromising church or a compromising Christian, if you've compromised with Balaam's doctrine of selfishness, idolatry, or sexual immorality, He says here in verse 16, repent, repent, or else I will come to you quickly and I will fight against them, against you with the sword of my mouth. Jesus says, if you want to overcome these areas of compromise in your own life, repent and return to him. Get on your knees and return to him and his ways with a humble and pure heart. Second Chronicles chapter 7 verse 14 says if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land Jesus ends the letter by saying in verse 17 He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the the hidden manna to eat. And I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. Jesus gives two benefits to those who overcome. He says, I will give you the hidden manna, which represents Jesus himself being the bread of life. Church, which basically means Jesus is saying the prize for overcoming is me. That's what he's saying. That you can have an eternal relationship with me. And what more can we ask for, right? There's actually so much more to what that means, which we won't have time to get in today. But he says, secondly, I will give you a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. Now... Some believe that Jesus is alluding here to the Old Testament priest where they wore a breastplate that had 12 stones on it and each stone represented a tribe of Israel. And the name of that tribe was on each of those stones. But Jesus says here, I will give you a white stone. White representing purity, white representing reconciliation, restoration and acceptance before our God. And that white stone would have a name on it that nobody knows but you and the Lord. I mean, isn't that special? It's not the name that you're going to have now. It's not going to be Ryan De Cleck anymore, right? It's another name that Jesus is going to give to you personally. And you know what that speaks of, church? It speaks of a special kind of intimacy just between you and the Lord. It's the same type of intimacy, in a sense, that a husband and a wife may have where they have these cute little names for each other. Where you have this, you know, 150 kilogram rugby player, and his wife calls him my, my pookie bear or, or my boo-boo, you know? <laughs> Come on, I know you have some of those names for each other, right? There's even that Afrikaans one, I think my grandfather used to call my, my grandmother, my pop you know? I mean, where do you get these names from, right? And I'm not saying it's going to be a name like that, right? But it's, it's going to be a personal and, and intimate name that God has for you and me and is representative of this personal intimate relationship just between you and Him. Isn't that awesome? Church, God is calling us to drive out compromise in our lives. He's calling us to stand firm because the throne of Satan is everywhere and is going to take a special kind of Christian with a special kind of consecration, commitment, and dedication to Jesus Christ in our times to overcome the throne of compromise. And church, this morning as as I close, and I know we do this often, but I want to give you an opportunity this morning Maybe we can dim those lights for us for a few moments. If any of these areas of compromise have been speaking to you personally, and you say there's been an area of, of selfishness in my life, or there's an area of idolatry that, is, that I've started compromising with, or I'm really struggling with sexual immorality, to what today has done, what you're going to see today is that the light has been shown and exposed the lie of the devil. It's just a lie. Satan wants you to believe that you're going to be stuck there for the rest of your life. Jesus says, no, that's not what my gospel stands for. I am a God of breakthrough. I am a God of victory. And God wants to bring victory in that part of your life today. And if you say, that's, that's me, I want to invite you this morning Either way you are, just to take a knee, repent before the Lord and bring these things before the Lord and allow Him to start to bring that restoration in your life. Wherever you are, you can take a knee. If you want to come to the front to the altar this morning, you'd like to do that as well. The Lord is saying He wants you us to, to drive out these areas of compromise within our lives. And he's saying, come now, let us reason together, my son or my daughter. These things are not going to take hold of you for the rest of your life. All I want you to do is get on your knees, repent, turn to me, come back to me with a humble and pure heart. Pastor's right, we have an announcement to make this morning.
1: I actually want to ask... Pastor and Pastor, now to join me, if if you can. So, I, I I've been doing the math, and so bear with me. So, Pastor, it's now four years, eh, Pastor? Uh, close to f- close to four years in Feb, that both of you have been called into ministry, in full time ministry, and to lead this house, amen. And uh, and what a four years it's been, amen. So if you do the math, let's just do the math, right? So let's say pastor does 40 sermons a year, right? Roughly? 40, 40, 40 odd sermons a year times four. How many sermons are that? 160 odd sermons. So pastor has been blessing us week in and week out with sermons um, and he's been faithful. He's been a, a faithful servant to this house, and we—it's we, such a privilege and an honor for us to to serve alongside Pastor ben. and also be, to be led by this this a couple. It, it's such a an amazing four years. First year, it goes by. Second year, COVID hits. So, so can you imagine? Pastor steps into ministry for the first year. Second year, COVID hits. God allows him and his wife to lead us through that period. Amen. Amen. How faithful has God been through it all? So, for four years, Pastor's been preaching week in and week out. And, Pastor, I want to say to you, thank you. I want to honor you this morning for, for the work that you put in. I mean, uh, most of people possibly don't know this, but most of the time, you, you're hidden away in your closet. Uh, in, in preparation for what you see happen on Sunday. So most of the time, Pastor puts in the time, the effort, even on Saturdays. Saturday mornings, he's here. So if you want to join fitness, you'll, you can come and say hello to Pastor. Pastor's here every Saturday morning, um, week in and week out for four years. So the time has come to give Pastor much-needed rest and, and a break for a while. Amen? So our, for, for those of you who don't know, our Constitution makes provision for this, um, that we give pastors some time off. And, and we've, we've had a discussion at the end of October, last, um, actually at the end of uh, October this year, just, and, and prompted the question uh, to pastors to, you know, whether he feels ready to take the time. It's, been, it's one year overdue, actually. Um, so we prompted it this year, and pastors graciously uh, decided to to actually take the time that the church is affording to him to take some time for much needed rest amen so pastor is going to take some time off and he'll he'll rejoin us um, hopefully in, at the beginning of March I think that's that's the time that we've we've allocated and and discussed and agreed, but can we just stand? Um, right where you are, and pray a blessing over Pastor. So I want you to to just extend your hand. Can we just firstly thank the Lord for giving us the shepherd of this house, the gift that he has to the body. And and I I want to ask the elders to join us as well if you can, if you can just come to the front and just come and stand with us. So over 160 odd, I think, Pastor, your book's almost ready. Yeah, yeah. There's over 4,000 words per sermon, I'm sure. That's a lot of work, and a lot of effort, a lot of time, and a lot of time seeking the Lord's face. And the time has come for you to rest, to find rest, to to just rest. Um, I said, to, i keep on joking with Pastor. This is a 30-year journey, and three months in a. In a 30-year journey is a very short time. Yeah. And as Pastor reminded us, the only reason why he's accepted this time is for longevity's sake and for effectiveness over the 30-year journey. So, so how many of us have been blessed over the last while in just this series as well? You know, that God has been using him in a mighty way. So right where you are, can we just take some, a, a, a moment just to pray over Pastor? Just thank him. Thank the Lord for giving us this couple. Come and lift your voice, church. Yeah. Yes. Lord we want to thank you, thank you for your faithfulness, thank you for your grace, thank you for your mercy, Lord over this house and thank you Lord for sending us shepherds Lord to lead this flock. We honor you Lord for the work that you've done in their lives, in pastors lives, Lord thank you for the faithfulness that we see evident. Lord thank you for the humility that you've blessed him with Lord Father God that Lord, the, the battering ram, the battering ram, Lord, that he is. We say thank you, Lord, Father God, for the work that you've done in their lives. Lord, thank you for, for sending this, this leader to us, Lord, Father God, to lead us through a, such a time, Lord, over the last four years. Lord, just reflecting back of, of what all has been. We can just look back over our shoulder and thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love, Lord. Thank you for your mercy. So, Lord, as as pastor takes his time of rest, Lord Father God, to replenish, recoup, take his time away, Lord Father God. I pray, Lord, that you would bless him. Continue to bless him, Lord Father God. Bless him with strength. Lord, replenish, Lord, the stores that is required, Lord, for the next season that we are stepping into, Lord Father God. We say thank you, Lord Father. Lord, I pray for this family. Lord, I pray a special blessing over this family, Lord Father God, in this time, in this season, as they take the time to rest and to enjoy each other, Lord Father God. We pray this in your wonderful name, in Jesus' name, amen. Can we give God all the praise in this place? Amen. Amen. Thank you. So, so thank you. Thank you so much. So, you, you can take your seat for a second. So Pastor uh, is set to return on the 1st of March, it might be sooner, but I think we've, we've extended it until the 1st of, of March. So what to expect uh, going forward? Can I ask the, the preaching team to stand up? And, and this is the team that's been assembled by Pastor uh, right uh, early on in the year, uh, I think it was placed in Pastor's heart um, way before. The decision was made to take some time off. Can the preaching team stand? Here we go. There's some more. Jared is Jared is standing already. And William's there, and Emmanuel is there. So, and I'm standing as well. <laughs> so over the next three months, uh, one of us will be taking the the pulpit. And it's already planned and it's already set in place. But God is doing something in this house, through this house. He's developing a strength um, that is needed and required for this this house. Amen. If you look at the people, encourage them, uh, bless them, pray for them, pray for us. As we take the pulpit and we trust the Lord will lead us into what he desires for this, this house as well. So pastor, maybe last but not least, I want to say thank you. Um, you know, stepping out uh, of, of your formal employment <laughs> in, in the work that you used to do four years ago and saying yes to the call. Look around you. It's because you said yes. It's because you said yes. So we want to honor you. Take the time to rest. Run, uh, run or don't run. Uh, eat lots. Uh, sleep lots. Hey, uh, okay. what? Go, play golf lots um we'll come visit we'll come say hello every now and then um but to, to uh, just so you know so Pastor's not going to be in the house until march um he's not even going to listen to the stream hey eh, pastor <laughs> he's going to try <laughs> it's going to be hard. so as we depart today um can we can we all stand and just uh, greet pastor um spend some time in the connect group uh, Ca- cafe with us um and y'all w- wish him well bless him send him out with the blessing can we do that church is god good amen